1: Hey, it's
2: Doug Gottlieb. You know our trusted partner, TireRack.com, has their fast, free shipping, free roadhouse protection, convenient installation options, and their selection of the best tires, like the highly consumer-rated BF Goodrich All-Terrain TA-KO2. But did you know they sell other automotive products as well? Wheels, brakes, and suspension, just to name a few. Everything you need to elevate your drive, just go to TireRack.com slash sports, TireRack.com. It's the way the tire buying should be.
0: Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER.
2: Hey, welcome into All Ball. I'm Doug Gottlieb. All basketball, all the time. And uh, for this podcast... I thought we'd do something a little bit different. You've heard me have long-form interviews with Jay Billis. You, of course, can download that and listen to it with Randy Bennett, with Iran Gannat. Uh, with a lot of different people, we've had some more long-form. We've also had some guys who are kind of like boots on the ground covering different teams and gotten their thoughts. So here's what I want to do with like with this week's All Ball podcast, okay? Um, I ask you to send in questions, and I have questions Frankly, from a lot of guys that I really, really like in the business and then from some of you that I don't like. No, I'm kidding. From people that are just listening and want to know. And the response has been great. And so I'll get to I'll answer as many of those as possible. And I'll even give you a shout out here on the uh, on the podcast. And and then I, I also wanted to. Um, I've seen a bunch of basketball games recently, like a bunch. I called. Eight games in the Cayman Islands. I saw eight teams play in Las Vegas. I've done other college basketball games as well. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you some some headline, some headlines, college basketball headlines. And I'm going to give you a little bit of depth on several of the teams that I have a little bit of depth on. That's really the idea. Like, yo, dude, I saw these teams. I talked to the coach. I talked to people watching the team, et cetera, et cetera. And you might be interested in it. I'm not going to go long form on it, but I got stuff on Nevada for, for you. An interesting team. I got stuff on Texas. Interesting team. North Carolina. Interesting team. Michigan State. I think interesting team. Uh, UCLA. Interesting team. The Pac-12 in general. I got some stuff on for you. Um, who else? I've seen Creighton. I've seen Boise State. I've seen uh, Illinois State uh who else? Clemson? Clemson? Missouri? No, no, no. Uh, Southern Illinois, UMass, Tulsa. Whew. I've seen a lot of basketball. Xavier. And then I have some Lakers stuff for you. I have some thoughts for you on the Celtics. And and the Jazz. See, Utah people don't seem to like me. Listen, let me start with the Utah Jazz. I'll get to a bunch of your questions. So what I said, what I tweeted out, and I think this is going back to like Sunday night was basically like, look, they're a mess right now. And one of the reasons they're a mess is that Don Mitchell. There's a little bit of resentment towards Don Mitchell this year. They are nine and 12. That is tied for next to last place in the West. And, and, and Look, I'm not an idiot I understand that a good portion of their games have been played on the road more games on the road than at home and they're a very good home team plus you have altitude and when Mitchell comes back healthy uh, the thought is that they'll be better. that's reasonable expectations It should be pointed out that they lost by 50 with Donovan Mitchell to the Grizzly to the uh, excuse me to the Mavericks then he took 35 shots the next game against the 76ers And so when I say and then they came back and they beat the Celtics, at home. Uh, no, they beat the Celtics, excuse me, on the road. Then they came back and beat the Celtics on the road. So when I say re- they resent him, I don't mean that they don't want to be around him, that they don't like him. But, but here's the way it works in the reality of the NBA. And, and I'm sorry if you on Twitter think that the world is black and white. It's really more gray. And you have to, one, watch tape, watch the games, talk to people in the NBA. And here's the thing. Um, There's a Brad Stevens quote. And it's something along the lines of you can't be a great team if your best player is not your best teammate. And my brother, who's an assistant coach at Oregon State, you guys have heard him on the All Bob podcast, his way of expressing it is you are who your best player is. And because Donovan Mitchell had such an outstanding first year, and because the belief is that you make your biggest jump from first year to second year, that you're, that he was, he was handed the, the conch, if he was a conch or conch, I don't know. He was handed the leadership role of the Utah Jazz because he was awesome. And you're going to get better, right? Everybody takes a jump. But a little bit of this is like, uh, a little bit of this is like, you know, the, whether it's Vince Young or RG3, you know, guys adjust to how you play. Donovan Mitchell is a below 30% three-point shooter. Donovan Mitchell is a scoring guard. But in a league where scoring guards average between four and seven assists a game, he, average, he averages, you know, uh, 3.7 assists a game. That's a, excuse my language, are you fucking kidding me stat, right? That's one of those, hey, dude, you got to get other people involved. And he's a tremendous driver, and we've seen, the, we've seen how quickly he can elevate, how he can dunk on people, and he's been rewarded as such with so much attention. So when I say resented, it's watch the games, and there are times where he's not moving the basketball. Their offensive style is where, you know, when Quinn runs sets, they start at one side, they go to the other side, sometimes they come back to the third side, and then they get into an action, which is trying to create a mismatch for whoever has the basketball or a mismatch so that Rubio can drive in, draw help, and then kick to Rudy Gobert, roll into the rim, or kick to Joe Ingles in the corner for a three, or then get the ball to Donovan Mitchell, who has a guy who can't guard him. Like there's a, And there are times in which the ball sticks a little bit too much in his hands. He's struggling with his shooting. He's shooting below 42% for the year. I mentioned below 30% from three. These are bad numbers, and he's not moving the basketball. Additionally, you are who your best player is. and he—he. He, there are times in which he's not even close to buying in defensively. And so when you're a, I don't know, what he's a he's 21-year-old kid, right? When you're a kid, a 22-year-old, Right? When you're when a guy who just turned 22, and everybody's telling you that you're the greatest player ever, you're the rookie of the year last year, you know, regardless Ben Simmons shouldn't have been because he redshirted a year, which is a valid argument, by the way. Um, you have to be, you have to be better than everyone, or give more effort than anyone defensively. It, it's not fair. But I'm a coach's kid. My dad was a coach, and my dad used to yell at me, and now I yell at my own son. And I don't yell at other people at practice. And I've had to have this discussion with him. Like, look, sorry, man. You know, you get more opportunities than anybody else because I'm your dad, because I'm the coach. And um, and so that's just kind of the way it is. Well, Donovan Mitchell, he's not a coach's kid, but because he's seen as a budding star, like, yo, dude, you got to buy in more. You got to take more criticism for your defense for your shot selection you got to take more ownership of things when things aren't going well and he hasn't done it so when I say that they resent him some it means watch their body language when Mitchell goes one-on-one takes a long two long contested two misses then gives up a bucket at the other end and their body language is again excuse my language fuck that guy and it doesn't mean that they don't like him in general but just in the moment of the game, they're like, yo, this is whack. This is just whack. And that's that's the reality of it. I, I mentioned Kyle Kuzma went through this last year with the Lakers. Kuz came from nowhere, was blowing up, playing, you know, scoring, and – People fall People fall in love with box scores and with guys making jump shots and scoring 20 points a game. And they don't actually know how to – maybe they don't know how to watch basketball. They just watch highlights or they just read the box scores. They just get onto Twitter and like, oh, he put up um, – and so last year the Lakers' chemistry wasn't as good. They had some older players. He was playing as a backup, so he's playing against backups. And he wasn't doing anything at the defensive end, and guys resented the attention that he was getting because – He wasn't giving all of this effort the defensive end. That's part of what's going on with Utah. In addition to which, the rest of the West right now is choosing to be competitive. Remember, last year we had way more teams trying to be bad than we've had so far this season. Now, we haven't reached the midway point where teams decide, hey, we're not going to have we got to start tanking. But this is a team where people have figured stuff out. They just have. And they're exposing them as such that, you know, Mitchell not shooting a great percentage and Ingles as tough as he is and how much as he can, he can get on a roll uh, and as good a shooter as he is, you know, there's some limitations to what Ingles can do defensively. Obviously we know the issues that Ricky Rubio has shooting the basketball, Jay Crowder, not shooting the ball. Well, Um, you know, Derek favors is kind of, he's a guy who, the league has kind of evolved past him and he's trying to catch up and trying to develop into a perimeter shooter, but that that's not what he is or what he's ever been. Um, You know, even Alex Burks, you know, like doesn't take great shots. Like you kind of go down the line. They're playing, you know, Dante Exum's a guy who can be a great defender, but you force him into minutes. He's not a great offensive player. Doesn't have great, great skill. In a league where shooting and skill And guarding the basketball, containing the basketball matter, they're missing in several key spots. You know, it's funny. Rubio actually gets criticized as a bad defender. Ask people in the league. Look at the analytics. Rubio's actually a pretty darn good defender. That's the crazy part about it, you know, because he's white and he's a Spaniard, he's a Euro. There's a sense that he's got to not be a good defensive player, and that actually isn't the case. Whereas Donovan Mitchell, who's more athletic, from the States, from Connecticut, from a good college program. The thought is he should be a better defender. And he's not. And remember, he's guarding the best players in the world who play, you know, the best scorers in the world. It's hard. They're coming at you just like you're coming at them. So we circle back to what's wrong with the Jazz? A lot of stuff. Mitchell being hurt, that's an issue. But also the chemical makeup of a guy who has been given kind of the keys to the kingdom and doesn't understand that he has to improve as a shooter has to improve in terms of the shot selection, but also has to buy in at the defensive end. Cause you can't fool your teammates. You can't fool players in the NBA. You just can't. All right, let me get to a couple of other, a couple of these questions here. Hunter Mahan, Hunter Mahan is a uh, professional uh, golfer. He has 300 and Hunter. How do you have more followers than I have on Twitter? I don't understand. He's an awesome follow. But that's really amazing. Hunter Mahan, 324,000 followers. He says, what do you do with Brandon Ingram? So if you watch the Lakers as much as I have, you may have grown frustrated with Brandon Ingram. You're like, man, he looks like Kevin Durant, but he doesn't play like Kevin Durant. You're right. (laughs) You're right. Now, there's a couple things. One, Ingram struggles some playing with LeBron because he doesn't have the ball in his hands a lot when he's playing with LeBron. He's just not going to have it. And he's not a good enough, comfortable enough three-point shooter to space beyond three-point range. So he forces some mid-range twos, and he's not good enough at that. Um, I think the Lakers probably let it play out and, and see how he evolves, his level of comfort, if they can give him more minutes on his own, especially as they've had so many injuries with their two-point guards. And have him play some backup point, which is what he did last year. Or have him at least handle the ball a little bit more within the half-court offense. But remember, the only two people that are in that locker room that weren't acquired by Magic Johnson or Rob Palenka are Luke Walton and Brandon Ingram. And they, they actually really like Luke. I think he's very well respected. I don't know if he ultimately you know, sees the Lakers to the heights of winning a championship or not. But I don't think that Luke is the one to go first. I think it's Brandon Ingram. But this, there's this, hey, why don't you just trade for Brad Beal? Well, you know the Wizards have to want to trade Brad Beal in order to trade for Brad Beal. And they have to want Brandon Ingram in return. Like, like, all of these things have to line up. Like, wow, we don't like Brandon Ingram, so let's give him to the Wizards who – Somehow they'll be blinded by Brandon Ingram and think, we don't know what we're doing. They have this game Saturday reports. They watch the same games. They, they The Wizards want to get rid of Brad uh, to John Wall more than they want to get rid of Brad Beal. So what do I do with Brandon Ingram? Oh, I, I personally, I, I move him. I think they would have moved him this last offseason for Kawhi Leonard to the Spurs if that deal could have been made. The problem was the Spurs said, hey, we want Brandon Ingram, but we want Kuzma, and we want Josh Hart, too. Like, all of these imaginary trades that are completely one-sided sounds really good on Twitter and on radio shows. The reality of it is that's not the way it works. I know he's young. I know he's still learning to play with LeBron. I know he's still kind of growing into his body, and he made a ton of gains in terms of his athleticism and strength. And I think he does have some of the things that you want to check off in terms of long-term being a sustainable player in the NBA. And if you get rid of him, you have to fill in with somebody who can do all the other little things he can do. Like Kyle Kuzma's not really a starter in my mind. He's just better as a sixth man. Um, But if you, if Kuzma ends up replacing him, you know, where else can you find that sort of ball handling and creativity within the lineup? I, I just think right now it's still so early playing with LeBron. And it's so much different than how they have played. And the games are, on a game-by-game basis, so much more important. Like, I just don't think you can make any freak-out reaction over 20 games. It doesn't mean that I believe long-term Brandon Ingram is a star in this league. I think he can be a good player. I think he's a little bit of a tease by my perspective, from my perspective. But I, I also think that playing with LeBron, playing with some of these older guys, who I've been told are all great chemistry guys, but guys that are also you know giving him so many instructions his head is spinning do i listen to these guys or do do my own thing it's just too early to make any concrete assessment over what you have even yet you're like 20 games isn't that enough look 20 games in i don't think josh hart can be your starting two guard or guard if you have rondo or lonzo like that's just not that's just not i think josh hart's incredibly valuable and if he and kuzma are coming off your bench Dude, you're and you have a vet like Tyson Chandler, like that's a good bench, a really good bench. But if he's a starter, because LeBron doesn't guard like he used to, now he's a lot of times guarding sometimes the best wing player. And Josh Hart's just not that he's really strong and he's tough and he's smart and he's a winner and he'll make shots, but man, he's just not. We talked about Donovan Mitchell, like he's just not that caliber of he just does not have that sort of caliber of athleticism. And he can't make the guy pay at the other end. He has to play off of others and score energy points, downhill buckets or catch and shoot corner threes. And so if it's me like I think Hart is more of a bench player, Okay, a really good six, seven man. Same thing with Coos. And then you get to the, do you have the answer with Lonzo Ball with Rondo at the point guard position? So there's a lot of moving targets there. But I also think that the Lakers know all this stuff, right? They, there's a reason that they wanted KCP. They thought, well, he's a guy who could be a starter. So uh, anyway, um, that's my, those are my Laker thoughts at the moment. I think from what I've been told inside the Lakers, like they're, assessment of rondo is they love him they love every part about his competitiveness his basketball intellect his willing to share is willing to work with the coaches um there's not a guy that they're not really happy with as a person on the roster which is a dramatic change from last year last year they had all remember luol dang they told him hey dude stop coming to practice for a while because we don't like exactly what's happening here with Julius Randle and eventually they got Julius Randle to buy in, but Randle had his limitations and then, you know, some of the other guys that were jettisoned or even brought in an Isaiah Thomas and some of his comments and the, the, this year the what the Lakers have tried to do is bring in LeBron and change the chemistry and the culture of the place. And that's a really hard thing to do in any sport at any level, but even harder to do in the NBA. And they feel like they've accomplished that. Now, are they good enough? No. Like, I'm broadcasting here. I'm taping this on a Wednesday, and they just got their asses handed to them by the Denver Nuggets, you know, where LeBron looked awful. And whether it was altitude or they went out late or they just didn't have it, they couldn't have looked worse. They're not winning an NBA championship with this roster. But they have changed the culture and the dynamic of, how they do things, uh, and how they are going to create kind of the next really good Lakers team. I think that, whether it's Anthony Davis and then another player, there will be additions made, but I don't expect them to be made in the immediate future. Let me get to two other NBA teams, and then we'll turn to most of your questions, which are, a lot of them are college questions, and I give you some of my thoughts on various college teams. The Golden State Warriors. The stat is that the Golden State Warriors are 10-2 and two with Steph, and they're 500 without Steph. How come nobody's pointing out the fact they don't have Draymond Green currently either? <laughs> right? It's like, oh, yeah, we didn't mention that. And this current roster is playing without three starters, without DeMarcus Cousins. So you take three starters off any team, granted, and then what I believe would be the I mean, and this is also a front-loaded team, right? Whereas, like, if you took three starters off, let's just say the Lakers, right? You took JaVale out of their starting lineup. So you had to start, you know, Tyson Chandler or maybe start LeBron big or you start Kuzma big. But let, Let's say you you take um, Rondo out, you take JaVale out, and you take KCP out. There's not nearly the drop-off because of the way, the way in which that roster is constructed. This roster is constructed totally differently. It's totally front loaded with KD, Steph Curry, and Clay Thompson and Draymond Green. And then you you do get DeMarcus Cousins on the cheap, but they're not really able to replace DeMarcus Cousins. Like Jones, the kid from Vanderbilt, he stinks. But when DeMarcus Cousins is back, he's not really even their second center. He's really more their third center they think got Kayvon Looney as well. But remember, the, the Warriors will start with DeMarcus Cousins, and then their backup center is really Draymond Green, who they slide over. So a lot of it is about roster construction, and people are disingenuous. Especially media members are really disingenuous about the, well, you know, Kevin Durant's not that important, because when you don't have Steph Curry, you lose. And when you don't have Kevin Durant, like, all right, well, who else was playing? Who else was on the roster? Who did they actually play? <laughs> like, all that stuff matters. We just said that with the Utah Jazz. Like, are the Utah Jazz really the second-worst team in the Western Conference? No, but they've had some injuries. They're not as good as they would have thought. And, oh, yeah, by the way, their, their schedule has been ridiculous where they've played way more road games than they have home games. And it's not just the road games, but who you're actually playing on the road. Everybody knows that, who actually follows the NBA. Right? Are you getting, Are you playing the Atlanta Hawks twice? In four days, or are you playing the Celtics, the Raptors? You know, a a team that's a surprise like the Pistons, like all of these things. Are you playing? When are you? Are you playing a team on the second part of a back-to-back? So I'll tell you this: I've watched KD as he has gotten comfortable being the alpha without those guys, and he was unbelievable the last three games. Unbelievable. He had 49 in their last win against the Orlando Magic. And I don't think the Magic are great, but they've, they've been a surprise team. Beating the Lakers twice. Uh, they've been in first place in their division in the Atlantic. He, he was magnificent. But I think what this is is um, is because people have soured on Kevin Durant because of the social media stuff, because he told the, the the fan in the front row to F off that we're looking for stats to somehow – diminish how good he is look you can spin it however you want here's the reality of it here's reality of it he is in his prime and maybe still in his maybe going to be in his prime for several years lebron looks to have been at least slightly out of his prime although his skill level is amazing he can't do it every night the way he used to and going back over the last two years in the nba finals matching up against lebron james Whether you had a better surrounding team or not an inferior surrounding team, Kevin Durant was the better player in the second half of 95% of NBA Finals games. Game one, probably notwithstanding last year in the NBA Finals when LeBron was amazing and J.R. Smith, you know, know, screwed up. So you can tell me that, hey, Kevin Durant sucks, Steph Curry's more important. Steph Curry is a freak of nature as a shooter, and he makes incredible passes. He's not a good defender. Um, he's clever at getting steals and he's better maybe than anyone could have thought he'd be defensively, but he's not. Like there's a reason they switch every screen with the exception of Steph Curry, because they're trying to hide Curry. And he's a, he's a high volume passer that turns it over a lot. And, you know, when they needed a bucket, they turned to KD, uh, they turned to KD. People forget that KD carried them in the playoffs last year when Steph wasn't healthy. Are they going to be as good without Steph? No, he's, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. But I would tell you that Kevin Durant is a better all-around player. And while you can throw out, hey, all that matters is wins and losses in Steph's team, there's a lot of other mitigating factors as to it. Like, I'd love to know the win percentage of who they played when Steph's, you know, Steph's win total was better. Who played with him? Not just top couple guys, but the entirety of the roster. There's a lot of other factors that go into it. The other part that's really important to mention is the Warriors are going to have all three of those starters back. And if they're healthy, this very competitive NBA we've seen so far is not going to be that competitive in the playoffs. The only really interesting part, or maybe two interesting parts about the Warriors, is do they leave DeMarcus Cousins on the floor when they used to go small ball? And uh, how does the whole KD, Steph, Clay thing work, you know? Uh, as we kind of go down the stretch. But Andre Iguodala at some point will be over the hill. It looked that way last year in the regular season. He missed most of the playoffs, but he was incredibly important because he's so smart, and he can just make one shot to keep you. And then Sean Livingston at some point is going to be over the hill. All those parts aren't factored into they're playing more minutes, especially Iguodala, when the other three starters are out. So I, I think the Warriors are still substantially better when healthy, I don't know if they'll remain healthy, and I don't know if the, they get exposed for having such a weak bench and so many other aging pieces outside of their big three. And we don't know what Demarcus Cousins like coming off of Achilles tendon surgery. Not not just that, but how does he fit into how they want to play? Can he guard? When they've beaten people, when they've won championships, they've done so playing small ball, play big at the start of the game, and they've had egoless centers like Ja Ja, like Andrew Bogut. And Bogut was a great passer, great screener, and that's not how DeMarcus Cousins plays. Will he buy into the way in which they want to play? We'll see. And then you have this, the, the Celtics, who have been bad. Considering their presumed talent, they've been bad. We're going to have to at least some at some point take a breath and realize maybe their talent's not that good. I think Brad gets it together. I think they got some... Uh, Scary Terry and his desire to be a starter elsewhere, even though I'm not sure the league. Matter of fact, I'm pretty sure the league doesn't view him as a starter on a good team. Like Scary Terry, I'm sure it hurts their chemical makeup. Um, It doesn't help that Scary Terry wants the contract that Marcus Smart has. And Marcus Smart continues to play the exact same way he played before he got the contract, even though he can't shoot. He still keeps shooting. He does play hard. He does does give them tenacity, but this is a league that really benefits guys that can shoot the basketball and he cannot. And then maybe the elephant in the room is so many people thought Jason Tatum would be a superstar in year two when you realize he's only one year removed from being in college where he played one year. He averaged 14 points a game, and I think he's going to be a really good player. He's got a chance to be a star player. But there's just holes that you have to shore up over time that you have to get better at. The same thing with Jalen Brown, like Jalen Brown shot the ball better his first couple years than most people could have thought. But he's not a great shooter. And then you have Al Horford, who's ridiculously valuable. But do we get to the point where Al, Al Horford went from being overrated and overpaid to slightly underrated and undervalued to now you're starting to see like, look, he's good. And he does a lot of things, but there, there is some, he's valued more because he's a professional because in an NBA playoff game, he'll make a shot and he can guard multiple positions. But in the regular season, sometimes just a lack of oomph and skill and athleticism and youth does get exposed. It's possible that the Celtics just aren't as talented as we thought they would be possible. I still think they're my, still my favorite, but remember there's a reason that the Raptors have won so many games, and then the Raptors add the winning quality of a Danny Green, and I think a better player than DeMar DeRozan in a, in a Kawhi Leonard. Okay, let's get to some of his questions. Doug Darlington. This is at Lombardo Keith is his Twitter handle. Do you think it's a myth that they don't play defense in the NBA with a high level of skill and no hand checking? It seems like you can play D but still give up points. Um, the defense is actually very, very good in most parts in the NBA. It is completely a myth. And th- the reason it's a myth is sometimes it's really good defense and just better offense. Those guys are unbelievably skilled. Like when I say that Andre Iguodala might be over the hill, like remember like this is a 20 point a game guy who was a starter and an all-star for the Phoenix Suns. He's still one of the 450 best players on earth. But at some point, father time catches up to you. He he doesn't shoot the ball with nearly the confidence that he used to. He's not the same player. And now he doesn't move the same. It's totally a myth that there's no there's no defense in the NBA. Look, there are, if you can't play in the NBA, if you can't guard your spot, period. Period. Like I had somebody, uh, I actually had a GM of an NFL team. Why can't Jimmer Fredette play in the NBA? I said, because he can't guard a soul. And even if it isn't totally true, that becomes the perception of you. If you can't guard, you don't play. Brian says, where do the Clippers end up at the end of the season? I don't think they end up in first place, but the Clippers, Jerry West, Lawrence Frank, Doc Rivers, think about it. No DeAndre Jordan, no Chris Paul, no Blake Griffin, first place in their division. It's incredible. Um, They believe they got a great shot at Kawhi. They believe they're going to bring in stars. I don't know if Kawhi, I I don't know enough of, I've heard enough chatter that makes me believe they're going to get a couple of guys, but I don't know the reality. Everybody said Kevin Love would always be, would be a Laker. That didn't happen. But they also said the LeBron ultimately wanted to be a Laker and that did happen. So who knows? Where do I think they end up? I think they end up getting into the playoffs um, in the six, seven, eight seed variety, and I think that Shea Gildas Alexander is going to be a, a star point guard for them in the future. And I think they've done a very good job of evaluating the players they have. What they do with Tobias Harris is going to be interesting. What they do with Avery Bradley is going to be interesting. But they play hard, and they're deep. And I think uh, maybe the best acquisition they made was Rex Calmanian as their defensive coordinator. He's he's been awesome. Remember, he was in Toronto, and before that, he was in Oklahoma City. Paul Zybowski Jr. says, are the Pistons a threat in the East? I don't think they're a threat to win the East, but I think they're a threat to knock out one of those teams that we assume will be in the Eastern Conference Finals. And by assume, I mean everybody thinks Sixers, Raptors, Celtics are the three best teams, right? I think the Pistons are a threat to either of those teams, and... It's one of the things that's been great is Blake Griffin hasn't pouted about being traded. He's made himself into a star, an absolute star. But do I think they win the playoffs? No, I think they get and lose. I would guess they would lose in the semifinals. I believe that that would be their ceiling. But if they run up on one of those other teams early, they could knock them off. Uh, I think this is uh, Raleigh says, your thoughts on Luka Doncic he's already the Mavs' best player and primary decision-maker when the game is on the line. Um, Doncic is really skilled, bigger than I thought, thicker than I thought, slower than I thought, but I'm not surprised at his basketball IQ. Um, the NBA obviously values skill, shooting, passing, maybe more than it ever has. He is going to be a defensive liability, and he's kind of everything I thought. Because he had played high level of European basketball, nothing fazes him. But there are just times in which you know you get to the playoffs and he's going to be isolated on guys who are just too too explosive and they go by him and there'll be you know people that you put on him where he can't get a step and he struggles. But he's a 10 year starter for them, you know. And if you put the right speed and athletic the, the 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 guy that I don't like is Dennis Smith Jr. You know I don't think he's a particularly hard worker. He's not a good shooter. The good thing there is he can play off the basketball because you don't want him on the ball because he's not really a creative passer. And I would say long term, he's probably a bench player, but he's got to shoot the ball better. And he's got to be better at all other facets of his game because this is a it's a shooting and skill based league. Mr. Gottlieb, many in Big Blue Nation believe the Cal struggles lately in recruiting are due to tension with LeBron's people. If you're with the cool people in basketball, have you heard anything like this? Well, I think LeBron not being close to them uh, becomes kind of sort of problematic. I also think, you know, he was in Ohio before. It's not that far to get down to Kentucky. And I, I do wonder what happens now that they have Anthony Davis, you know, under contract with Rich Paul. Do they land Anthony Davis and does Cal help push that along? Does that become reasonable? Yeah. I also think that, look, the Duke thing has become cool, you know, I think that Louisville's done a great job. Uh, um, I think the whole recruiting thing is fascinating. But, like, look, he got most of the guys that he thought he was going to get. It's different when you have – like when Penny Hardaway coaches a kid in AU ball and in high school ball, like Penny Hardaway should get him. And that's what he meant. That's what he meant. I don't know enough about LeBron's people and if they've turned on Cal. I just know that LeBron's people are now in L.A., And so proximity does kind of change things. Best NBA player since 2000s not to make an all-star game. This is from Tomas. And worst player to make an all-star game. Leading candidates Mike Conley and Lamar Odom, Lamedo Coor and Brad Miller. Brad Miller made an all-star game? I had no idea. I like Brad Miller. He's a great dude, man. I hung out with him at uh, USA Basketball Trials one year one of the best dudes i've ever met. Mamedo Okur, also incredible dude. Elo um, and Mike Conley. Mike Conley should be an all-star. But the problem with him is, you know, like i would rather have there's blasphemy, Mike Conley on my team than Russell Westbrook on my team. And i think Russell Westbrook has more talent, plays hard, tough, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. but i think my, i think you'll get more wins out of playing with Mike Conley. Kind of a throwback, but he can also score than you will out of out of Russell Westbrook. Best Southern California player you played against that didn't make it uh big, but should have. Well, illusion me man, if you know anything about Southern California basketball. Shea Cotton played at a high level, but was supposed to be the first, you know, got to go straight from high school to the pros. Those are the two names that and I know that uh that Chief um oh what's his name? Uh what's his name? Oh, a chief at Cherokee Parks made it to the NBA, but he should have been a better NBA player. He should have been a more impactful NBA player. Chris Burgess, another guy who um, now he would be a stretch five. I don't know if he could guard the way you need to as a stretch five. And, you know, Eric Chenoweth is a guy that, you know, now he wouldn't be as valued, but feet tall, And I don't think he played a regular season game in the NBA. So we've had a lot of guys. Who's your favorite to win the Missouri Valley Conference and make the tournament? Well, I've seen several Mo Valley teams. I don't think Missouri State's there. I don't think louis Chicago's as good as they've been. I'm going to go with Illinois State. They, they have Malik Yarborough, a transfer from St. Louis. Got pretty good guard play as well. I don't know if they have the overall shooting, but I would go with Illinois State as uh, my favorite to, to win the Valley. Sparty Basketball. Why does Izzo call a timeout at the timeline? Well, because he wants guys to bring it up, and he has a half-court set that he wants to run. He, and it's interesting that he does this at the end of the first half, and I think sometimes it hurts momentum. I know he's using it for the future, for, but this is something that Tom Izzo has always done. Look, there's um, Roy Williams, for example. He always traps either on the dribble or on the first pass when you come out of a timeout, first half and second half, first timeout, that's what they do. He also, at the end of games, always throws into midcourt and calls a timeout. That, that's just his style. So Izzo, he always has a guy bring it up into the front court as quickly as they can to get it right where he wants. And then he calls timeout so they can drop a play right in front of him. And I'm sure that he would be somebody who would want that NBA rule where he could advance the basketball. I don't like it. I think you have to earn those, earn that yardage, if you will. And I also like that there's a difference between college and pro. You don't have to have the same game. Kyle says, do you think Texas Tech finishes in the top two or three in the Big 12 again? Uh, I don't. I don't. But it wouldn't surprise me because I think Chris Beard is an amazing coach. I watched them play two games in Kansas City. I mentioned all the teams I've seen play. I walked in, they're down 13 to USC, who probably has more talent, and they end up kicking USC's ass. And the next night, they play against Nebraska, who probably has more talent, and they beat Nebraska. I, I think that the Big 12 is, I would guess that Baylor would be the Tenth best team. I don't think Oklahoma State finishes last. I think they're actually pretty good. They look, they feel like a tournament team to me. Uh, Oklahoma, I still have my concerns about. Um, and then TCU, it's really hard because they haven't played anybody yet. So I, I think they finish upper half. But I would say that the top two teams are Kansas and Kansas State. Kansas State should be really good. Uh, Bruce, obviously, he puckers a little bit when they when they play against KU. And they usually lose a game that they shouldn't. So I think the top two, and I frankly think Texas should be really good. I like the way that Texas plays now. They spread you out. Um, obviously, Hayes, the new freshman big kid, is an amazing story from being like lightly recruited now being a stud there. I like Texas. I would say that Texas Tech wins a bunch of games. You know, They win 10, 11 games in the Big 12. I think the Big 12 is going to be KU at the top and then maybe K-State right behind them. And then probably just a, a a clump of, what would it be, four or five teams kind of worked in together. Craig says, why w- wouldn't it pay for the Sixers to try sending Fultz to the G League and let him work out his kinks in the smaller platform? If you listen back to our previous All Ball podcast, we talked a lot about Markel Foltz. I don't think he can be a G League player with the Sixers. You can't draft a guy number one overall. And then have him on your G League team the second year. There's something where everybody in that organization or with Folts, they're all blaming each other instead of, hey, let's just fix Markel. So I think you probably, somebody trades for him for nothing. You shut him down. You work on him mentally, emotionally. And if you play him in the G League, fine. But you can't do it with a team that drafted number one overall. And if you play him on an NBA floor, you got to play where he, if he turns down a shot, you take him out of the game. How do you think Nevada will fare against USC and Arizona State? I'm fascinated. This Nevada team, you know, all their starters are 22 years older or older. The twins are 23 and a half years old. Um, they're an old, mature team, and I think Jordan Cornett's their best college basketball player. He's 6'4", 6'5". His dad, Simeon Rice. He competes. They play him as an undersized five at times. He's phenomenal. And then you have Cody and Caleb. Caleb, Cody feels like he's improved more than Caleb, but Caleb is a better offensive player, a better shooter. Cody does all the other little things. How do they fare against USC? I just think they're tougher, older, more mature than USC. Remember, USC lost their four-year starter at point guard, and they lost Chemezi Metu, who defended the rim. And, you know, boat ride doesn't look right to me just yet. And while USC has a lot of talent, like I think Nevada's age and grit and experience, I think they beat SC. Arizona State's interesting because I think Arizona State's going to climb into them. They might be a little bit too fast and athletic, uh, but they're also going to be far younger than Nevada. Wouldn't stun me to see Nevada beat both those teams. All right, quickly, let me give you a couple of things on teams that I've seen this year in college basketball. Let's start kind of at the top. Um, a team that I've seen that I think is super intriguing is the University of Texas. So when I saw Texas, uh, it was in North Car- it was against North Carolina and against Michigan State. Against Michigan State, they had a huge halftime lead, and uh, they're playing well. They're up 19 points, eight minutes into the game, and of course, Michigan State came storming back. and And my thought on Texas is this: they have figured out that. Uh, Kerwin Roach was so good against North Carolina, and they have uh, you know they have some shooters. They have the the freshman Jackson Hayes, who's given them big minutes. I think they figured out that Dylan Osadkowski, while a super effective offensive player, obviously doesn't make them long defensively. But I love that they've they've changed some of the stuff they've run. They spread you way way out. And if they're making shots, and again, against Michigan State, they're only 9 of 34, their performance against Michigan State was part of it is the, if you've seen Sparty in person, those guys are incredibly built. You know, they're just, it feels like a group of men as opposed to Texas, which feels like several boys, you know. And they're struggling to find a role for Jericho Sims. I thought uh, starting Matt Coleman was smart, but, you know, Coleman... There's a reason that he's volleyed in and out of that starting lineup just because he's not really a one, not really a two, doesn't shoot it as well as you'd like. I still think, though, the Texas uh, this is a this is potentially a second weekend team. They just have they have the type of length and athleticism that few teams have. They also have enough depth of older players, especially Ossidkowski, Kerwin Roach. We mentioned Coleman playing you know last year. Um, do I think they're perfect? No, no, but. Uh, If the word is get old, if if we talk about get old, stay old, that's a team that gets old, stays old. The same is true for Nevada. I got a chance to really study Nevada. And what I like is they're old, you know, and they know for the most part, they know who they are. You know, they they know that, uh, you know, Kayla Martin kind of is their one shot creator, a guy who can pass and who can score and who you pay a lot of attention to. And you know they bring Jazz Johnson in whether he starts or comes off the bench, um, he's kind of lightning in a bottle. He's he's their 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 Vinnie Johnson, their microwave oven. He's older as well, you know. Then you got Jordan Caroline, who's like he's like twenty two, and they play Jordan Caroline. He's best when he's at the five, but when he's at the four, now all of a sudden they bring in they start Trey Porter, who's got ridiculous length. Also, he's in his fifth year in college. George Mason to ODU to to Nevada, and. You know, so defensively they're just so much thicker, so much older, so much smarter, and they do have, you know, some some newfound depth with a, a Corey Henson who can come in and shoot, a Jordan Brown, the freshman who can defend the rim. Um, that I, I like their team a lot. Like I, I put them as my fourth Final Four team on our Fox Sports uh, Twitter handle. I, I can't figure out who that fourth team is. Gonzaga, Kansas, Duke to me are the the three elite teams in the country. And I think there's a bunch of Michigan now would probably be in, in chase. But the thing now is the thing about Kayla Martin is he does shoot the basketball like Lonzo ball, where he can kind of only shoot it out of his left hand. Cause the ball comes to the middle of his forehead and he kicks out his foot. He's not a great shooter. He's a volume guy. Um, Jazz Johnson's their One, what I would say is kind of electric three point shooter. I think Cody Martin's probably improved more than his brother there's some limitations there. He's not really a three point shooter and he's not as much of a creator. He's more of a point power forward, but he might be their best, you know, ball handler. Um, and I'm interested to see what, when they play like an Arizona state with, with small athletic guards to get after him, how, how they play seeing his last year, San Diego state beat him that way. And then Treshawn Thurman, who can step out a little bit, he can score this back to the basket. He's, he's one of the, he might be their, their worst athlete, but he's a really good basketball player. So you throw out a starting lineup where everybody's at least twenty-two years old, and then the only youngster you bring in is Jordan Brown. That's a really hard team to compete against. And while my initial thought was, and and watched them the first night, I watched him. Caleb Martin was really selfish. The second night, he was the MVP of the third place game, and or uh, no, was the championship game of the other side of the Las Vegas Invitational. And so when I watched him, uh, I talked to him afterwards. He was like, look, I took bad shots and I just had to take better shots and play better basketball. So it's not that he doesn't have a little bit of a selfish gene in him. It's that at least he has the knowledge of, hey, I'm playing selfishly. I got to change things. So I I like Nevada. I I don't I look around that league and, you know, UNLV gets beat by Valpo. Um, I think San Diego State's good, but not great. New Mexico's not back yet. It's not that they're going to run through that league and be undefeated. It's a hard league to play in because of all the altitude you go and play in, even a place like Nevada and, and the road trips. And I think Colorado State's going to be pretty good. Um, Nico Medvedev is a really good coach and I think a nice fit for what CSU wants to do in the future. So it's not like they're going to go undefeated, but I, they're going to win their league. They're going to get a good seed and they do have experience. And I know that sometimes we overreact to a couple of wins in the tournament you know they were they were down big in both of those games and so we become kind of result oriented instead of process oriented i'm just telling you based upon the process like that's a really good older team that at least now at least now eric musselman has buying into guys you know with the exception of the martin twins and jordan caroline nobody's playing over you know 25 minutes a game that's hard to do it's hard to get a Trey Porter who, hey man, this is your last year of college basketball. You leave ODU and you're only playing 18 minutes a game. I, I think those increase, but I think his management of their minutes, while it'll help them, if and when they get a shot at the NBA, it's it it, it, is, it I mean, guys just bitch and complain about playing time. That's what they do. The North Carolina thing is interesting. You know, at the time of this recording, we just saw them get blown out by uh, Michigan, and and part of why they got blown out by Michigan, I think, is their reluctance to kind of evolve defensively and and matchup-wise. If you wonder why Nasir Little only plays 19 and a half minutes a game, watch him play an entire game and you'll kind of understand why. He's an electric offensive player, but he's also a guy that thinks he's supposed to shoot every time he gets it. And while he's the most talented in terms of NBA upside, you know, you have Luke May and Cameron Johnson who, you know, they— They've seen everything, they've done everything, and they play the two positions that he wants to play. I do think there's a role there to where you can play the three of them together. They all shoot it so well, and they have at, at times. Um, and then, you know, the other issue they run into is Kobe White, who scoring point guard. So who is going to facilitate on that team? You know, you can have a scoring point guard, and you can have three and four men who all can shoot and score. And you can spread it out and and really be incredible offensively. But one, who's the facilitator on that team? They don't really naturally have one. And that's kind of the opposite of how Roy Williams has always rolled. He usually, usually has a facilitating point guard or facilitating combo guard to go with this point guard. And two, um, who of those guys is going to lock down defensively, right? Like Cameron kind of a finesse player. Luke may just not athletic enough to keep up with, with great athletes defensively. Nasir little, a freshman, offensive minded guy. Kobe White's quick, but he's if he's not making his shots, he doesn't buy in defensively. Like that's a really talented team, but not one that locks up defensively and they don't facilitate. And then there's also kind of a reluctance to to play as many guards, perimeter players, and spread you out. They still want to play the the Sterling Manleys of the world. And look, playing without I think Seventh Woods could be a guy who facilitates more. He could be that off the ball guy. But now after missing a couple games to the concussion, now all of a sudden you you get a little bit boat raced in terms of other guys getting minutes and you got to play catch up. So I think Carolina, look, they're an NCAA tournament team. They have a lot. They actually have a lot of skill. And, and I was concerned about the point car position. It's not as much turnovers as, as running the team. I think they'll be okay. But in terms of competing for a national championship, there's some fundamental flaws in how they're constructed in that, He got a lot of offensive minded guys and not a lot of facilitators. And, and to this point they haven't dug in defensively in, in fairness to Roy Williams teams, most of, even his championship teams that are loaded up with veteran talent, they don't lock in and play really good defense till February. They just don't like he doesn't come out, you know, and, and browbeat them early. He lets them get up and down and play, take some losses they wouldn't normally take. And usually like mid February, suddenly they start locking guys up. So, that's That's one thought. I mean they just have a lot more offensive firepower than other teams. Even Virginia that beat Maryland last night, like like they have some firepower with Kyle guy and and Hunter and uh, Ty Jerome, but not the type of firepower that North Carolina is going to have in the second half of the season. The question becomes, will they stop anybody? I got a chance to see UMass in Matt McCall's second year. and I, I like I like the overall growth of what he's doing there and what he's trying to do. Uh, this is a UMass team that uh, they've won three out of their last four. They did lose to Nevada, and they didn't play poorly. They just didn't match up well with Nevada. Nevada kind of hit everything they threw. But Luan Pipkins is, I don't know what he is, 5'8", five, 5'9", five, just lightning in a bottle, electric scorer. Uh, they have his kid, Carl Pierre, who can really, really shoot. Sophomore, he, let, he was the nation's leading freshman three-point shooter. Um, and they also have Curtis Cobb, who's a transfer from Fairfield. He's the one with a creepy eyes tattoo. Go ahead. Google him. He has these creepy, creepy tattoos. He's wearing a t-shirt now, but when he's at Fairfield, he used to let it, let him hang. And it was weird, but plenty of firepower. Uh, question with them is going to be defense and they got to develop around, you know, they're, are two big guys. One is Cy Chapman, who is a freshman from Minnesota. And he played high school basketball with Trey Jones, the, the point guard at Duke. He's only 18 years old, very, very young. I don't know if you can win with that young of a uh, of a center right now, but you never know in the A10. They're just they're a very offensive minded team that's kind of searching searching for uh, a rim protector because they start Rashawn Holloway, who's six eleven listed at three ten. I think he's closer to three fifty, three sixty, and he can only play limited minutes. But, but look, UMass is an interesting team with, with all that firepower they have offensively. And I do think McCall has made the proper inroads in recruiting. That he, They're never going to be what John Calipari had them, But considering the A-10 is searching for a leader, searching for a team that could make a run, they play at such a furious pace and have so many different shot makers. It wouldn't stun me if they're a team that, you know, they finish somewhere in the second to fourth in league. But then they win the conference tournament because they have, have, they have so much firepower. Let me take a minute to tell you about Quip. There's a buzzy gift on everyone's list this year. It's called Quip. And if you get it, they'll use it twice a day, every day. If you get it, they'll say, did you see this on Oprah's O list? It's perfect for everyone with a mouth, even one as big as mine. Quip is quick. Quip is easy. Quip is sensitive for sensitive gums like mine. It even reminds you when to switch sides of your mouth, and it's easy to pack and travel because you can stick it to a mirror and slide it off with no incident. That's why I love Quip and why they have over 5,000 verified five-star reviews. Quip looks like a big-ticket item, but it's got a stocking stuffer price, starting at just $25. So go to get Quip. GetQUIP.com slash Doug. Right now, get your first refill pack for free with a Quip electric toothbrush. That's your first refill pack for free at getquip.com slash Doug. Getquip.com slash Doug. Let's welcome a man, Casey Jacobson, former first round draft pick, uh, high school, college, All American, all around good guy. You'll watch on Fox this weekend when we have an incredible slate of college basketball games. Um, Casey, could Duke have beaten any of your NBA
3: teams? (laughs) Absolutely not. We would have crushed him. And I played on some really crappy teams, especially one, uh, New Orleans. Uh, we had Speedy Claxton and Lee Nalon and Dan Dickow. We weren't very good, but we would have hammered Duke.
2: Yeah. I mean, I don't, here's what I don't like. Look, I've worked with Jay and Jay Williams. I, I was, I was most surprised that Jay would say something because yeah, his team that won a national championship had five, five pros, right? It had him, Boozer, Duhan, Dunleavy, who am I forgetting him? De- De- Dunleavy. One more big guy. Shane, Shane Battier. Yeah. And Shane Battier. Right. And he was the best player. And you look at how even he struggled when he went to the NBA playing on a bad Chicago Bulls team. And you understand the difference in level of competition, the difference in men versus boys and the. Like when you're in in college basketball, you might have three to five future NBA players, as opposed to in the NBA, you got fifteen NBA players. Like I just mm-hmm. I don't understand why. I understand why a writer might say that. I don't understand why a former player would say that.
3: You're right, and, and Jay's a good friend of ours. I mean, <clears throat> Jay is a peer of mine. We were in the McDonald's All American game together. Uh, we competed. I, I competed against that Duke team that you mentioned that won the national title. We beat them uh, in December of that year. You're right. Uh, it's, it's different when it comes from a journalism, somebody who's never played at any level before. But for somebody like that to say it, it's a dumb argument to me. The biggest thing, Doug, um, is the bigs in the NBA to me. That, that's where, I mean, of course, I was a 22-point-per-game scorer in college. I led the Pac-12, Pac-10 at the time in scoring. And then I go to the NBA and I average five. And I'm, you know, seventh or eighth man off the bench. And one of the hardest things to do was to create my own shot But also, if I ever got to drive into the lane to finish against elite, and we're talking the elite of human beings uh, as a species at the NBA level, to me is the biggest difference. So will Zion Williamson be fantastic in the NBA? Yes, he will. Will R.J. Barrett be fantastic in the NBA? I believe so. But Cam Reddish might be just an average guy. And then who else is, like, Trey Jones is a really good player. I don't know if he's going to be a good NBA player. If he'll even be a starter ever in his career and you're talking about uh, an NBA team with 12 players versus a a Duke team that has two bona fide NBA players and maybe a couple other fringe players. They'd get smashed.
2: They would would get smashed. Um, Okay, so R.J. Barrett or Zion Williamson, you have the number one draft pick. Who do you take and why?
3: This is a great debate. I love it. So R.J. Barrett is the more complete player. To me, he is the safer um, pick. Um, But let me say this. I would take Zion Williamson, my only, uh, with the number one pick. If you can guarantee me this, Doug, and it's a big guarantee, his weight right now uh, is not an issue. He is a 18 or 19 year old young man, and it might not be an issue for three or four more years. But you can't tell me that if he doesn't take care of himself, that when he's 26 or 27 and he goes up for a dunk, and he's got you know wear and tear over years of playing basketball that he doesn't tweak a knee or tweak an ankle or break something, and then he is not the same. His game is so much reliant on his power, explosiveness, and athleticism, and it is marvelous to watch. But I just wonder if his body weight at 275 or 280 pounds, whatever he is, can hold up over the length of an NBA season. Like LeBron, what he's done with his body is, Pretty remarkable. He's as disciplined as as anybody we've ever seen. If you can tell me that Zion will drop some weight and be disciplined and keeping a healthy weight, then I'd think about taking Zion. But I don't think that's the case. I would take R.J. Barrett.
2: Here's my thing with 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 Barrett, and it, a little bit of it is is confirmation bias. What I thought and what NBA scouts have told me, which is like, I, I understand that Mike Shishovsky's coming out super defensive about R.J. and you know mm-hmm. playing hero ball. But he was playing hero ball, right? It was selfish and it was, and look, he's, he's won at every level up until now, but it it wasn't working against Gonzaga. And I, I think the, my fear about RJ Barrett is this. He, he's always been the best player. He's always been the alpha. He's always been the guy who's going to have the ball in his hands at the end of a game. And one, I do think there are moments with this Duke team, which he's got to get off the basketball Two. I'm not I don't think he shoots it well enough and I'm not sure he will shoot it well enough to be that guy or he's explosive and athlete uh, enough to be that guy at the next level. And so if he's not the go to guy, he, he's there's this he'll he'll really struggle. He'll struggle emotionally. He'll struggle in terms of fitting in uh, to a team, it, whereas Zion is, um, I, I think, doing a great job of not being the go to guy. I agree with you that he's he's a unicorn. No one's ever seen anything like this before. Yep. And you know, we're all trying to say, well, he's Barkley if Barkley was like he's not. Like Barkley's six four and a half. This kid's six five and a half. And but Barkley was never two hundred eighty five pounds and he he's like a cut to two eighty five, like just so thick. I'm with you, Mike, Mike. I would I would hire uh I would hire people to surround him, have him have a chef, have him have a trainer. This is a you know, we you and I talked about this with other guys. I would you know, with Joel Embiid, I would do the exact same thing, invest in him now as soon as you draft him so mm-hmm. that it becomes a complete lifestyle change, which he's already started to make. But I'm not sure that Barrett, Barrett has, uh, if he can continue to develop as an athlete, as a shooter, maybe, but I would actually take Zion just because he might actually be the safer play, injuries and body type, notwithstanding, because he's shown the ability to not be the alpha with the ball in his hands, whereas R.J. Barrett does not ha- appear to have that in his makeup.
3: Well, we're splitting here. You know, I I think we agree uh, a bit. Um, I disagree with you in the fact that RJ Barrett was playing hero ball at the end of the Gonzaga game, but I was okay with it. He is a better creator if he's willing to make the right play than Zion Williamson is from a one on one perspective perspective because he can shoot. Now he has struggled. He, yeah. he got to a really nice start shooting the ball, but RJ bear is a better three point shooter than lately um, than his numbers indicate. No question. Uh, so and, and all these he, freshmen they,
2: will get, but, but here's the thing. While I agree with you, he can facilitate. He wasn't right. It was like, okay. like, look. Yeah. and, and, and Zion Zion. And, and look, let's just also remember Zion's being guarded by college, power forwards, college centers. which is, which is, this is what happened with Derek Williams at Arizona, right? Everybody freaked out. Derek Williams is shooting numbers at Arizona and Sean Miller was, we're texting. I was like, dude, you haven't played in the matching up with fives. Of course he's going to have, he's like, I know people think he's an NBA two or an NBA three and there's no, he's not playing against two or three men. So I do agree. understand that. And I agree with you that in, in theory, in theory, um, R.J. Barrett should be a much better facilitator and creator, but he wasn't facilitating or creating for anybody else in that instance.
3: Yeah. Let's also remember that R.J. Barrett reclassified. He should be playing as a senior in high school right now. Um, so he's he's still young and learning, and that was his first uh, major stage that he played on. I know he's played on USA basketball teams and been successful. He's been in McDonald's All-American, but that was his first major game. It was number one versus number three on ESPN. Now he had to for the premier uh, non-conference tournament in the country. He wanted to make a name for himself. L- let's not uh, forget as well that Zion Williamson is so popular. He's a rock star. Yep. And you don't think that that has an effect on R.J. Barrett. He's sure. probably thinking to himself, I'm a better player. This is what R.J. Barrett probably thinks. I'm a better overall player. I'm, I'm the projected number one pick. So at the end of the game, I'm going to show – but I'm the guy. I'm the one-on-one go-to player for Duke, not Zion. I absolutely think that played a part. I'm not blaming RJ. Look, I, I'd rather have a guy. I'd rather have to rein a guy back, like, "Hey, man, you gotta you gotta stop having tunnel vision and see the rest of the floor," rather than have a guy who's too scared yeah. to take on that moment.
2: That's it's a it's a very 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 fair point. Uh, absolutely fair point. All right, let's get to some of the games. I've seen Creighton a bunch. Called three of their games. Um, and their win in in the Caymans. Now, they have, good, they have Gonzaga coming in. Um, and if you've seen Creighton, you know, one, they're incredible at home, even though they lost earlier in the year to Ohio State. They play small ball. Tyshawn Alexander is their best player. Um, I like this as uh, uh, Marcus Zagorowski, who's the, the freshman point guard, who comes in off the bench. I'm I just I I'm not sure that playing small ball against against Gonzaga ends up working out well for them. Um, how do you think they match up against the Zags on Fox?
3: Yeah, not well. Um, that doesn't mean to say that Creighton doesn't have a chance. They always have a chance at home. This is an offensive-oriented team. It has been since the head coach Greg McDermott took over there. Um, they uh, they lost to Ohio State. Since then, their last four games, they're on fire. Doug shooting almost sixty percent as an offense uh, collectively. So they, they're coming in confident. My issue with Creighton has always been, and will be certainly in this game. Can they defend the rim? Can they defend inside the three-point arc? Because Gonzaga can do – they can beat you any which way you want. They can shoot from three with Josh Perkins and Zach Norvell, um, and even their bigs can step out and shoot it occasionally. But they're a very good team at driving, drawing, kicking, um, and they go down to the post. They isolate Rui Hachimura, their Japanese uh, forward at the high elbow area, really effective in the mid-post, in the middle of the floor. Um, So can can Creighton – you know, defend the rim. Martin Crumple is coming off of his third ACL injury, and he looked really good in their last game against Fairleigh Dickinson. Yep. he looked really good, but he's not nearly as explosive as he once was. And he's going against Brandon Clark and Rui Hachimura now. So, um, if they can defend the rim, then they'll be able to run. Doug, you know how difficult it is for being a team that likes to push the tempo. If you're taking the ball out of the net, you're done. Creighton is not the same. Offense in the half court. They're just not. Tyshawn Alexander is stepping up as a go to guy, but they don't have guys that, you know, just give them the ball and, and get out the way like Marcus Foster last year. They don't have that.
2: Uh, all right, let's go to Marquette, Kansas State. Another big game for the Big East at home. Big East struggled so mightily in the, the matchup, uh, the Gavit games against the Big Ten. How do you think they match up against K State?
3: So, K State is a, a bona fide top. 15 team in the country they returned all five starters from a team that made it to the lead eight last year so obviously big expectations for for case day and they're known as a team that'll just draw a line in the sand defensively and good after you uh barry brown will just take the ball if you're not you know guarding it with two hands um so marquette to me and we're going to talk about this tomorrow on fox they got a They've been telling their head coach, Steve Wojciechowski has been like, we need to have a better defensive identity. Now, they're not going to be a top 25 defensive team probably ever um, as long as he's coaching because he's more of an offensive guy. But they have to embrace the pace of this game, Doug, meaning they can't go in with the mentality that, yeah, we're Marquette, we're at home, we like to score, we're just going to outrun you. That is not going to happen against K-State. So they need to go in with the mindset, all right, it might be a little bit slower, and that's okay. How are we going to manufacture shots for Marcus, Hauer, uh, Marcus Howard and Sam Hauser? How are we going to do that in the half court? If, uh, to me, the magic number is going to be 40%, whatever team can shoot over 40% uh, is going to win this game. That, to me, is more likely Marquette. Um, and they're at home, so I think you're looking at an upset win right here. I think Marquette's going to get this
2: one. I, I don't, I, I don't, I don't like the matchup at all. I, you know, I've, I've seen K State a ton. Um, you know, K State does. You know, their their two best players are Dean Wade and Barry Brown. Barry can give you a 30 at the college level, and Dean Wade being kind of a face-up big. Um, I, I actually think they match up really well with with Marquette in that they'll play. You know, four out, one in. And even their five men can be really, really athletic. They can play both their guards, Jara and Stokes, together to match up with Marcus Howard and downshift and go small. Um, it's it's not what not what they traditionally like to do, um, but it's something they will do. I also think kind of underrated is the fact that I I one reason I wish I was doing this game. Bruce Weber was my dad's manager at UW Milwaukee, and this game's oh, wow. gonna be played like two doors down from where they used to. Well, they actually used to play on on campus. But, uh, you know, like five miles away. Anyway, uh, I just, that's a fast, I like K-State and I like, K- I, and I like the, this Marquette team. I just think that Marquette, it's, it's a lot like Creighton. They're going to beat you on mismatches and it's not a team that you can create the mismatches against with this Kansas State team that plays four out or even no out, uh, nobody in. Um, has Villanova fixed themselves with their tournament win?
3: Oh, uh, a nice bounce back. And I can't say that I'm that surprised. I didn't pick him to win that game of uh, the, the finals game against Florida state. I thought Florida state's athleticism and defensive prowess would, would disrupt their backcourt, uh, Villanova's backcourt, which has been pedestrian with Phil Booth and Colin Gillespie. So, I uh, you know, I was Colin Gillespie was amazing. Probably the best offensive performance I've, I've seen from him. I don't think he missed his first seven shots in that game. Um, But Doug, similar to like the Los Angeles Lakers, which you know started out slowly and then won like five games in a row, and people are like, "Oh, did they fix what?" No, the Lakers have a big problem, and they don't have any three-point shooters around LeBron. That's a problem that doesn't get fixed. Villanova doesn't have NBA players on their team. They lost four of them, and they're not a team that reloads like Kentucky and Duke, and sometimes even Kansas. They have a problem that's not fixable at the elite level. Will they be a top 25 borderline team for most of the season? Probably. They are not going to be an elite team because they don't have elite talent. I mean, they got a couple of dudes, and Eric Pascal has not taken the step that I thought he would this year. And so because of that, they are going to be good. They will out-execute you. They will be tough. Um, but they have a problem that can't be fixed over the course of of a five-month
2: season. All right, let's let, let's get to a uh, uh, a couple other a couple other quickies here. Um, Stanford, your alma mater, taking on Kansas. Jared Haas going back to a place he played his last two years in college. Um, why isn't Stanford better? I mean, they've been they're so good. This is the old question: they're so good in every other sport. Obviously, they, mm-hmm. str- they struggled this year in football, but in basketball, wh- why isn't Stanford? I, you know, you lose Reed Travis, that hurts you. Why aren't they better?
3: Man, I've been wrestling with this question for a while. We uh, Stanford has made one tournament in the past decade.
2: What? Um, is that true?
3: One tournament in the past decade. That is true. Look it up. Um, it was the one year that Johnny Dawkins, they made it to the tournament, and they, they upset Kansas when they had Andrew Wiggins. Um, so they made a Sweet 16 the one time that they did make the tournament. But that's it. They haven't made the tournament since Brooke Lopez and Robin Lopez were roaming the— uh before that it was brook L- R- lopez so uh but your question why aren't they better so you know stanford has a uh, a small recruiting pool like it, it's it is uh as difficult to get into stanford as any other basketball power that you know that that offers scholarships you know not notwithstanding the the ivy league schools because of that you have a you have a small pool well the elite uh players like a Reed Travis, who was a McDonald's All-American. He's been the only McDonald's All-American, Doug, in the last eight years, I want to say. So let's just start right there. So the elite players um, are not going to Stanford lately. When I played from 1999 to 2002, we had four McDonald's All-Americans on our team. And let's not get it twisted. We can talk X's and O's. We can talk about who's the coach, who's not the coach. If you don't have NBA players and you're in a Power 5 or Power 6 conference, you are not going to be uh, going to the tournament every year. You're not going to be ranked in the top 20 in the country, and, and that's that. So the one McDonald's All-American elite high school player that they have recruited, Reed Travis, transferred for his senior year to go to Kentucky, which is a bad state of affairs for Stanford. I mean, he's you know, an all-Pac-12 player, the leading scorer. They run their entire offense to him. And he is, he, the reason he transferred, Doug, is because he never played in the NCAA tournament. And he didn't feel like Stanford had enough NBA scouts. He, he wasn't showcased enough. And so it's hard to right the ship right now if you're not getting any of those elite players. That's what it takes, one or two of them, preferably two, to turn the tides of a program if you're playing in a conference like the Pac-12.
2: Well, I also think, um, you know, they've had guys transfer out, nobody transfer in. You know, and so when when people everyone else is playing older players and, um, uh, you know, they haven't they they should have third and fourth year guys that are able to compete. They should be able to compete without McDonald's All-Americans, quite frankly, because they haven't lost guys to the NBA draft the way that every UCLA has. Arizona has USC has Oregon has, but they they haven't been able to do it. I mean, it's just it's really, really remarkable. People forget. I had this conversation with Andy Katz where people forget, like when you were there, the farm, that was one of the best atmospheres in the West Coast. Right. It was a tough place. to play. now the students don't care and they don't have they don't have good enough teams. They don't have good enough players. But also, you're not if you don't have a distinct home court advantage where you could roll out and win 95 percent of your games, that that changes your season dramatically. There's no, no
3: question about that. I watched Maples Pavilion is, is the arena that's on Stanford's campus, and it, it only holds 8,000, but there are people who waited outside. Now, there's some factors in it. First and foremost, we were a really good team and you know top five talent in the country, but two, it, it's a different landscape in, in college basketball now where every game's on TV, Doug. Plus, you, you factor in the fact that um, at Stanford, the students have other stuff going on. They don't. They are busy trying to advance their own academic careers and achieve their goals. They don't care about football. Even when Jim Harbaugh now David Shaw is coaching at at Stanford and they're a top 10 program, you can argue they're the best Western program of of the past decade, better than USC, um, and their stadium holds 40,000 and they can barely, if at all, get 30,000 in there um there's just other things going on at stanford sports is not a high priority to the university as far as like uh the major college sports and going above and beyond stuff like that uh so because of that you're right not having that home court advantage certainly certainly hurts and then we've already talked about the lack of uh, elite talent Uh, i disagree doug I, i think Anytime you you can think of a Stanford team that was any good, they had multiple NBA players. So yeah, they,
2: yeah, no, that's fair. You know. that, that's fair. I I also think though that the times have, you know, s- some times have changed. But yeah, they look. They used to be, Stanford used to be able to do in basketball what they're able to do in football now, which is like, hey, if you want academics and athletics, you come here. And mm-hmm. all of your guys w- were were like that for whatever reason. Both the last two. Both the last two regimes have not been able to capitalize on that. They just haven't. Um, I didn't think they had. I didn't think they had good enough guards when Tommy was there. I mean, not Tommy. When um, uh, Dawkins, Johnny when, Dawkins. When Johnny Dawkins was there, I didn't think that. I I never felt like like after Chris Hernandez graduated, they haven't had. You guys, you guys always had pro bigs, right? And obviously, that's hard to get now. There aren't many big, big, big boys in college basketball. But I also think thought you guys always had really, really good guards from Brevin to Mike to, to, to Hernandez. And after he graduated, there's never been kind of that dynamic, just below NBA caliber point guard that stays four years to go along with the NBA caliber bigs.
3: You're right. Uh, the one team that they did have that was really underachieved was Chase and Randall, who was a really good college guard uh they had dwight powell and josh hustus who all three of those guys did play or are still playing in the nba but this stanford team right now doug is actually really strong in the backcourt i i actually their biggest asset is casey akpala really long wing he can't shoot from three but he does everything else really well um and dejon davis is a guy who you know out of the seattle area he's their starting point guard he's wild but he's a guy that is like that fringe player you're talking about. He's not good enough to be a lottery pick or even second-round draft pick. He'll probably stay at least uh, three years, four years probably. Um, but they don't have any any elite bigs, and especially with, with uh, Reed Travis transferring out. There's a gigantic hole in Stanford's team. They, they can't manufacture buckets at the rim, and so they can't compete. Within, like they get blown out by North Carolina, they're going to go to Kansas, and it's probably not going to be close, just yeah. because who's going to guard uh, Udoka? Nobody.
2: No, no. I mean, and, and usually they used to have a bunch of big white dudes that could line up from Adam Keefe mm-hmm. to Mark Madsen to the Twins to whomever that could that could guard uh, Udoka. Um, okay, last thing. Casey Jacobson joining us. Uh, and I do. I want to have you back on, and I want to talk about your family, your basketball family, and everything. Okay, you promised me you'll come back on. We can do that, like a long form sure. deal. Of course. All right, good. Of course. Um, okay, so Gonzaga, Duke, Kansas, give me the fourth most likely team to get to the Final Four as of today. The
3: besides those teams,
2: yes, yes. Mm.
3: So I still like Virginia. I liked Virginia last year, and then DeAndre Hunter got hurt. And I watched Virginia this year, and I think Hunter is so much more valuable than we even thought last year. And people were like, oh, one player would make a difference for them, you know, not losing against the number 16 seed. If you watch Virginia this year, DeAndre Hunter is a legit uh, pro prospect, uh, a four man that can play the three as well. He can step out and shoot. He can finish above the rim. He's a fantastic def- uh, defensive player, of course. Um, so I, I like Virginia. I also like the story of them being the only number one team to lose in the first round and rebound the next year and get to their their head coach Tony Bennett's first ever Final Four. I just think that would be a perfect storybook. Even if they don't win the national title, I don't even care. Just them getting there, I think, would be an incredible story to follow during March. Um, You know, I I like Tennessee a lot. I I, I love their toughness, and I I love their combination of of three and four men with Admiral Schofield and Grant Williams. Um, and So they've been really, really impressive in, in the games that I've seen them. Nevada a team that really intrigues me, but I don't. I, I doubt they'll be good enough defensively in the tournament, despite the fact that they've addressed some of their big issues with Trey Porter. Uh, Trey,
2: Trey Porter, now, now look, Trey Porter, you'll see him tomorrow against SC. Freak athlete. Now, he's diabetic, mm-hmm. so I, I think that's one reason they limit his playing time. He only plays like 18 minutes a game, but uh, fifth year grad transfer senior. He changes things. Defense. I just think they're so old and mature. And now you add in, you, know, you got Jazz Johnson as a shooter. Um, I, I I Nevada would I I recently put Nevada as my pick. I'm with you. We're all kind of circling around the same teams. Nevada's pretty impressive, and they Jordan Caroline's just a monster in there. You know, like a six four six five four five man. That at the college level, he's a grown man. He's going to be turned twenty three. I I just think they have so much more age and experience, and now you have a little bit of the length at the back end. Nevada would be, honestly, as of today, would be my pick. I I'm not sure they have the 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 perimeter defense because they're so big, but I'm I'm also not sure it matters because they can also score on you.
3: Well, I'm I'm not going to pick against them. I'll, I'll tell you that. I, I just they have to prove to me against the elite level talent. That's my only thing defensively. They have to prove that. They don't have to prove anything on the offensive end. They're as dangerous as anybody. They can score against anyone. Their length will be a problem, but we're talking. Nevada as a Final fourteen, that means they're going to have to beat a Kansas, they're going to have to beat a Duke, and can they defend those teams? Yeah. Nevada is a team that's going to be heavily favored in every single game they play this year, and no other top 10, top 15 team can possibly say that there's their schedule Duke. isn't weak, but it's not good, Doug.
2: Well, I know. We'll see. They they got SC, then they got Arizona State. Uh, let's see. Hey, Casey, great stuff. Can't wait to see you tomorrow on Fox. And I appreciate you joining us in the All Ball podcast. Anytime, Doug. Do the best. You, man. All right. Look, I've, I've seen uh, so many teams in person. I'll continue to give you insight on different teams. You know, I haven't gotten to Southern Illinois. I don't think I've gotten to Illinois State. Who I think Illinois State might win the Valley. Man, this Malik Yarbrough kid, his dad played there, started St. Louis, transferred over. I, I like their roster. My question was about their guards. and Their guards are pretty good. Like, I'll give you some more. I'll give you some Valley thoughts upcoming next week. But Big Ten's kicking off. We got great hoops this weekend on Fox and on the other networks. Feel free to watch. Continue to tweet out your questions. One last thing. Since we're doing a podcast, Brian Windhorst on his podcast said that scouts had told him that LeBron ignores Luke Walton's play calls when he's playing the point. I have been told unequivocally that that is fiction. And before I sit there and tell you that that doesn't mean that Wendy doesn't do a great job or that scouts aren't telling him that, but scouts assuming that LeBron and Luke Walton, scouts from other teams, aren't on the same page, either one, they're trying to plant a story to create, Uh, An era, an aura of dysfunction in the Lakers, which I've been told doesn't exist, or two, they just don't understand how those two operate. First of all, Luke doesn't call a ton of sets. They just don't. They don't overcoach him. And LeBron does try and exploit mismatches and he knows what he wants. And you're not going to stop a guy who's a 15 year superstar once in a generation player and say, no, 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 dude. Come out and let's run a little UCLA double, you know. But in terms of ignoring coaching, doing your own thing, not trying to run the plays that are called. I think this this is part of the deal, which the Lakers, everyone knows the Lakers are going to be players in free agency this upcoming offseason. And I think the Clippers will as well. I think the Knicks got a chance to, to get in there. And, and players at their current places, it, it's hard to leave. Hard to leave. But I'm I I know multiple guys in that front office and on that coaching staff, and they're all like, "That just didn't happen. Just hasn't happened." Um, and that's the thing what they what they thought they were going to get, they have basically gotten. I, I know that people are pushing back and the Lakers not having enough shooting. They know that they're not idiots, but they feel like they have super competitive guys, but also guys that can function well within the locker room. Even the goofy dudes at the end of the bench, the, the born readies of the world. Those are good dudes. They come in. They, they they do their work. They put in extra work. They go home. They go home. That's that's what they do. Tyson Chandler has added a great presence defensively. They're way better defensively with him. It's allowed them to sit Javel more, but also he's a professional. He says all the right things, shows all the right leadership to the guys on the bench. And I, I think I would guess, my guess is a scout... And most scouts, are they're trying to see the negative. There's the confirmation bias, right? There's the thought, and I've had that in my head, that LeBron's hard to coach. Man, he's got to be hard to tell to call plays. And you see something you think might be that, so you say it to somebody like Brian Windhorst, who then talks about it in his podcast, and he creates this, and everyone in our business is talking about it. Well, you know, here's LeBron. He's going to have it out for Luke. My sources are good in this one. Not Luke himself, but guys around him. LeBron's been a really good teammate. Really trying. And he knows at the end of games like the the Pacer game. Gotta take over, gotta get the ball. He becomes their point guard, especially without Rondo. But but that that report, whatever scout gave Windhorse, whatever scouts gave Windhorse that information, they're either assuming something or trying to plan something that doesn't actually exist. I hope you enjoyed the all ball podcast. Keep your questions and comments coming to at GottLieb show. Stick with us all season long on Twitter at Gottlieb Show, or listen to the Doug Gottlieb Show on Fox Sports Radio every day, Monday through Friday, 3 to 6 Eastern, 12 to 3 Pacific, on Sirius Channel 217, XM Channel 203. You can also listen on the iHeartRadio app, or just go to FoxSportsRadio.com, and you can check out what affiliate is in your area. I'm Doug Gottlieb. This is All Balls.